Hi, it's Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Carol Gonsha, the founder of Kokak Chocolates, based here in San Francisco in the Castro. With an established career in video production, Carol is a self-taught chocolatier and shares the inspiration from her Irish-Filipino roots and upbringing in Manila to her medium of chocolate. You can certainly see the tropical influence in both her designs and unique flavors. I am so excited to welcome Carol to the podcast. Hi, Carol. Hi, Liren. It's so nice to be here. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to this chat with you. I'm so happy to, to finally meet you. Um, I've, the more and more I read about you and I, I have your chocolates here, which I haven't, I've been photographing them. I haven't had a chance to taste it. I figured I would taste it while I was on my call with you. <laughs> um, oh. Yes, but they're so beautiful. But before we do that, I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked about? How old were you? Oh, um, I love spaghetti. So that's probably yeah, that's my earliest memory of the first thing that I ever cooked. Oh, fun. Was it Filipino spaghetti with the with meatball, the hot dogs in it? You know, I, I not not exactly because my <laughs> grandfather used to be a cook for the for an Italian American family a long long time ago after the war so I guess our influence is a little bit more Italian American and so I learned from my grandmother to make um, Italian style spaghetti and that was kind of the special treat for me every time it's my birthday she would make it for me and I eventually learned it learned to make it and nine is the cheesy version for sure oh I love that that's so fun (laughs) (laughs) do you still make it for your birthdays um, every now and then. Yeah, I do. So could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself because chocolate was not your first career? Yeah, no. Um, I actually started out as a broadcast journalist. I worked for a television program in the Philippines that's similar to 60 Minutes here called The Probe Team. And uh, that's what I did for my first few years after college. It was a great experience, and I'm still um, very deeply connected with the people that I met along the way when I was working as a journalist. And um, eventually, I started my own business. I created a video production company with my best friend. We did it together in the Philippines for um, eight and a half years before we decided to move here. And I eventually, uh, again, restarted a video production company here in San Francisco. So... You worked with KQED, right? With Check Please. Those local people here will know that show very well. Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, When I moved here, I started a business on the side, and I also worked as a culinary producer for Check Please Bay Area, um, a San Francisco-based television program that's focused on food. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also worked for... um, cooking show with Jacques Pepin. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's for one season. In between, I guess, when I was doing the restaurant TV show, Check Please, in between, I did the uh, Jacques Pepin show, and that was a lot of fun, and I learned so much about about cooking. So what brought you to the world of chocolate? How did that begin? Oh, um, I, you know, what I didn't realize, I realized it today that the reason why I love chocolate is because of my family. But I didn't know this then. Uh, When I started chocolate, I was looking for something to do with my hands. I have been a video producer for such a long time. And while I enjoy being a video producer and telling stories to people, uh, sharing positive stories, I was looking to do something that was less digital. I guess after having been like deep into it for over 20 years, I just wanted something simple that I can do with my hands because I'm a very crafty person. I like making stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So chocolate, uh, I was weighing between skincare products and chocolate. And I thought like, okay, that's tough because I like making natural skincare products too. I tried doing both and I was just more excited about chocolate. And so I decided to take it seriously and start taking courses and learning from other female chocolatiers that are super amazing, that have helped change my life um, and led me to where I am today. So can you tell me about some of your mentors? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the first mentor that actually taught me about chocolate, her name is Stacy Raiden. She's a veteran chef. So she's retired now, but she, she was a veteran chef for like so many years, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Uh, she was uh, part of the Chef Olympics back then, and she was probably the only woman on the team back then because it was <laughs> a male-dominated world. So I admire her so very much, and she taught me the basics of chocolate, uh, hand-tempering chocolate. After that, I took some classes here and there, you know, just little um, classes, practicing also on my own, selling at um, chocolate pop-ups. And then eventually, uh, I wanted to upgrade my skills again because I knew there was so much to learn and there still is so much to learn about chocolate. And so I decided to learn from Melissa Copel. I flew to Las Vegas and took her super intensive course. Oh my God, I am still taking her courses and there's just... I, I love learning. I guess the biggest thing is I love to learn. So it doesn't really matter what path I take. I just love that I'm learning something. And chocolate is such a such an interesting um, subject to learn. There's so much about it. And even after four years of doing it, I am like far away from really knowing everything about it. And, and that's what makes me excited. I am an eternal student and I will never stop learning. I think that's so fun to, when I hear about people who work on their passion products and products projects. And I believe what really gets them going is that continual learning, um, just that that drive to, to really immerse yourself. And chocolate, it's true. I, I'm guessing you'll never really end the learning process. There's always something new and different to try and develop. So... <laughs> Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, aside from that, I did say in the beginning that I uh, probably got influenced about chocolate from my family. That's because I didn't even realize as, even as a kid, you know, I grew up in a middle class family in the Philippines, but I just was very lucky that my uncle uh, was very smart and got to travel all over the world as an engineer. And he spent a lot of time in Europe and brought home chocolates to me. Even as a kid, I actually tasted so many amazing chocolates and it developed my palate for chocolate. And uh, so I, to this day, actually, uh, the reason why I say I didn't realize it before is because when I, whenever I go home to the Philippines now that I'm doing chocolate, I realize how big chocolate is for my family, like really good quality chocolate, um, because it's still, my uncle still has chocolate in his pocket. Yeah. So like everywhere we go, there's chocolate in everybody's pocket. So I guess like, that's a, I thought that was normal, <laughs> but maybe that's just my family. I love it. Well, I do remember whenever family would bring home pasalubong, which is like the souvenir, yeah. there's always chocolate. Um, but I'm guessing yours is to the next level, <laughs> which is great. Well, not always, but my uncle, my uncle was a uh, fancy. So <laughs> he brought fancy stuff, but I mean, I loved everything, even local chocolates in the Philippines. I really uh, enjoy them. And I had my favorites back then. What were some of your favorites from back home? I don't know if you've ever tried uh, choc nut. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah choc nut and then the curly tops. Like I tried everything, surge, everything. Like oh, I, wow. I, I just love chocolate in general. And I like trying, of course, you know, our, our palates change. We prefer different things as we 
grow older too. And so probably now, like, you know, I went into Kit Kat and then I ended up liking Twix, chocolate. And so now, um, of course, now I like my own chocolates. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> Can you tell everyone the meaning behind Kokak? Because I think that's such a smart name for a chocolate brand. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, Kokak means ribbit in English. And uh, I think it's very funny that we hear uh, the same sound of the frog differently in different parts of the world. And in the Philippines, the same frog that makes that sound sounds like kokak because mm -hmm. of the language. And in, in the States, of course, we hear this ribbit. Yeah, that's so cute. Um, so you sent over some beautiful chocolates, one of which <clears throat> you'll have to just tell us every tell everybody about um, the special one. Oh, wait. I'm opening it up. Not that anyone can see, <laughs> but I'm just going to describe it really quick. It's a beautiful lily pad with um, a frog, probably ribbiting, kokaking. <laughs> um, can you tell everyone about this special piece? Because it's it's so beautiful. Oh, uh, so we have our artist palette bar, uh, which was mentioned by Forbes as, as one of the 10 uh, fancy bars of 2020. So we were very lucky to be featured uh, in Forbes magazine uh, last December. And the same uh, artist palette bar uh, has a seasonal version for Philippine Independence Day. This month is our first anniversary as a retail shop in the Castro district. So Coca Chocolate's way of celebrating uh, it has to do with, I guess we decided to create a couple of products. One is a seasonal artist palette bar that you're holding now that celebrates Philippine Independence Day with the colors of the Philippine flag reflected on our designs. And so that's what you're tasting. It's a 70% uh, single origin fair trade dark chocolate bar from Ecuador. Is that the one that's made with the Nacional Cacao variety? Yes. Uh, it is made by a rare cacao variety called Nacional, and Nacional was considered extinct a long, long time mm -hmm. ago. And uh, so somewhere along the way, they found six trees, which they eventually pop, uh, propagated in Central America. And so today, um, farmers grow it and take good care of it. And um, Nacional, the way, so for us, it's very important for me to know the source of my chocolate and also the integrity of our ingredients is very important to me. And chocolate is our biggest ingredient in our, uh, cacao is our biggest ingredient in our shop. And so I take pride in knowing that I actually purchase from a woman producer who works with a farmer's cooperative in Ecuador in Esmeraldas, Ecuador. So we purchase from, so the, our chocolate comes from different parts of Ecuador. And uh, so this chocolate comes from Esmeraldas, a coastal province mm -hmm. in Ecuador. And we, we think about uh, cacao the way we think about wine grapes. It depends on the Toroa, you know, where mm -hmm. it grew. Uh, there's the ocean. There's also vegetation around, uh, varying kinds of vegetation. And Nacional is grown uh, with other types of vegetation, which gives it also helps give it an interesting flavor and makes it a sustainable source of living for for farmers, and that's important to our team. Oh, I'm glad that you that you keep that in mind and are supporting such producers who are doing hard work. I'm sure, um, <clears throat> and preserving this flavor, you know, this type of variety. So, what what is the nuance in the flavor um, of the cacao that's grown there, like? What characteristics would you say it gives it? 
Yeah. So there are, I mean, I guess it depends on, there are so many factors to a flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the soil, it's uh, the, I think it's called intercropping. Uh, so they grow, like say, let's say a banana tree gives shade to the cacao tree and it helps um, it, it helps with the growth and um, continuous growth of the trees and the bearing of fruit. Um, I think uh, a big part of it is they're also producing for flavor rather than for maximum yield. And that that gives you the best possible flavor for, uh, for your cacao, for your chocolate. Um, they also do not use preserve, uh, they, they do not use pesticide. Mm-hmm. It's organically grown. So that's a big deal. And so I guess like depending on you, you cannot really it's, you know, there's a lot of berry flavor and I would love to hear from you also on what you're tasting. Uh, I haven't tasted it yet. I guess I'll, I'll cut into it now. <laughs> Let's do a tasting. I'm excited. It seems a shame to, <laughs> but okay. Cause I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I have a piece of chocolate every day and it's usually um, dark chocolate now that I'm older and all right, I'll try it. Me too. I always have a bite every day. Mm. It's unlike a lot of the dark chocolates mm-hmm. that you can find in the grocery store. Yeah. And I do, I feel like I'm getting wine notes too and some earthiness. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if everyone's hearing me chew. <laughs> It's melodious to me. (laughs) It's very smooth, very creamy. Uh And I know a lot of people complain. I know certain people in my family complain that dark chocolate is too dark or, Uh but this is beautiful. It's just so creamy and it's rich. And I'm actually getting a little marshmallow too. The very, very tight, like light hint of it. It's delicious. I love the way you're describing it. (laughs) I, I can tell you like the flavor profile of, of this uh, bar, but I feel like it's so limiting because all of us have different palates and sometimes, you know, we taste uh, like saltiness stronger or bitterness stronger. So like it depends. But uh, so the flavor profile is cocoa, red fruits, macadamia, molasses, buttery finish. But, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> what, what's important is, you know, how the, to- the chocolate tastes to you. Um, everybody's a little different and also each batch is different Mm. depending on the year it was grown when it was harvested and all other factors so everybody plays a role in the um, in the food chain everybody plays a role so it's beautifully balanced to me Um, are you making the chocolate yourself are you no so we are a shop of chocolate here so Mm -hmm. there are I, I know there are two types of chocolate businesses that we see around here in the San Francisco Bay Area. There are the chocolate makers and we are uh, the chocolate years. And so the chocolate makers, their focus is bean to bar production where they grab, they get the cho- the cacao beans and they uh, start it. Uh, you know, they, they, it's already fermented. I think by the time it gets to them, it's all, it's already fermented, dried, and then they process it and make it into a paste to the point where it becomes liquid uh, chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then that's hardened and then it gets sent. It, well, it gets purchased by chocolatiers like us. And so the strength of a chocolatier, uh, well, the general strength of the chocolatier is in creating flavor in their truffles and then also coming up with designs and, and everything that the whole packaging. But I want to also add to that in the way we think about it at Coca Chocolates. I think another strength of the chocolatier is also choosing the right ingredients 
and not sacrificing profit for ingredients. And so for us, yes, we are a sensible company that actually is interested in making sure we remain, we stay profitable or we become profitable as a new shop. But it's also uh, almost as important to me to make sure that there's integrity in our ingredients. And I think that's a big responsibility for, for a good chocolatier, making sure you try your best, you know, figure out a way to give people the best. And this is part of our decision. We decided on probably, it's probably one of the most expensive chocolates that you can find around here. And very few of us do it. Very few of us who actually have retail shops focus on national. I don't even know, well, maybe there is, but I am not aware of any regular retail shop aside from little pop-ups that folk that actually purchase national chocolate just because it's so it's very pricey but then it's worth it and you're also supporting the farmers mm-hmm. who actually make a good living taking care of the land so to me that's all worth it yeah well every bite I'm going to treasure every single bite um you also sent over another palette I just have to ask you first of all how do you create the beautiful designs like obviously this one with the frog and the lily pad Looks like it was hand painted. Yes. Um, but are some are some of these designs also printed? How does that work? Yeah. So we hand paint some of the designs, and then the other designs are actually edible, made of edible ink. So the more detailed designs are printed on edible ink. And so we're, we don't take care of everything. So we're all part of the whole system here, where uh, artists make the designs, and then it gets printed on uh, kind of like a food grade plastic sheet. Uh-huh. using edible ink and then when the chocolate is wet so there's a whole process it's a two to three day process to make a single flavor of truffle and so part of that is while the chocolate is wet we put the uh, plastic sheet with the edible ink on top with the design on it already and then once it sets uh, when we remove the plastic sheet the design is then transferred to the chocolate uh, and that takes about three days including creating the flavor that goes inside the truffles so in our shop, we have the chocolate bars, but we also have the truffles, which is uh, the truffles are much more, I guess, it takes much more time to make. So it takes us two to three days for every single batch of the fla- uh, flavored truffles. And But we do them, you know, we do a few at a time. So in three days, we let's just say we make five flavors or something like that. Wow, that's incredible. These are so beautiful. This is from the, the new Pride Collection. Oh, good. Right? It's so beautiful. I cannot wait because <laughs> truffles are my favorite. Um, so I know that you also do some virtual tastings. Is that right? Yes, we do virtual tastings. And uh, so uh, I guess a couple months back, we did one for a private group for um, tech companies normally, uh, which is very common around us. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So they gather their uh, team members and then we either crash their party, whatever team party they have, or they create a party. Uh, for our wine, for our, I'm so sorry. I was going to say wine tasting. <laughs> chocolate tasting. Yeah. For our chocolate tasting, they create a, an event for it. And they, it's a team building uh, event for their team members. Oh, and fun. Through the flavors of chocolate and we send them the chocolates in advance. And then we set up a date to go on Zoom together. It's funny that you mentioned wine because I was going to ask you if you ever do chocolate and wine pairings. Yes, that's in the works. We do have other companies reaching out to us and purchasing our truffles for uh, their wine tasting or or other um, liquor tasting. So we've had um, a bar actually purchase our chocolates for their tasting uh, at their place. And also we've had an organic wine company up north that recently purchased our truffles for their uh, tastings, for all of their wine tastings for a whole month. 
So we supply to them. I love that. Well, especially where we are, it totally makes sense. We have some amazing wine producers and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you could have some wonderful partnerships with them. Um, okay. So if I'm going to enjoy some of these truffles, what do you recommend that I do? Is there like a certain method to the madness when you're tasting the truffle? Sure. So for me, so this is just my style. So everybody's a little different. Sometimes they have wine in between. For me, I have water in between to clear my palate. And I start out with the lightest flavor going to the most intense flavor. Mm. So you have banana caramel in your box. You yes. have marshmallow. And you have hazelnut gianduia. And you also have passion fruit. Ooh. Okay, so the caramel... Uh, banana caramel is the one with the little clouds. Is that right? The banana caramel is the one with the 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 green one. Oh, this one. The, the green one. Yeah, that. Yeah, the banana. Oh, are banana leaves. Um, and then the next one, the love is love design. Mm -hmm. Well, that's our seasonal passion fruit design for our Pride Month special in celebration of our first anniversary in the Castro. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have our Gianduia, which is the rainbow. So that's that's kind of like Nutella, but not. <laughs> but maybe better. <laughs> I, I think so, because yeah. we make it from scratch. Yes. So all of our flavors we make from scratch, even our, the jams that are going to our chocolates. Oh, wow. So I know that at the store, you carry more than just chocolates, don't you? You have um, a coffee and pastries. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, we have hot chocolate and uh, coffee and mocha at the shop. And uh, our hot chocolate, there are three different kinds of hot chocolate. So we have our single province hot chocolate, which is my personal favorite. And that's pretty much like drinking the single origin chocolate bar. So that's my favorite. It's thick, mm. but it's thick that it's too hard to swallow. So yeah. So we kind of um, found a balance there with um, the single origin, uh, the single province chocolate bar. That's all. Uh, and then we also have our hot, hot chocolate, which is a spicy Mexican chocolate uh, style drink. Yum. And that's a favorite uh, among a lot of the neighbors there, too. And then we have our classic hot chocolate, which is uh, the American-style hot chocolate. Oh, gosh. Now I need to go. In terms of the flavors of the Philippines that you remember, how does that influence the flavors in your chocolate? We cannot get away from who we are. I was born and raised in the Philippines. I am Irish-Filipino. Uh, I have a lot of family here in the U.S. as well. And so my flavors will always have something to do with uh, our local influences, um, and so a big part of the flavor profile at Coca Chocolates have to do with uh, Philippine fruits. Like there's mango, lemongrass, there's calamansi. Calamansi is a very popular flavor. It's a citrus fruit that's uh, very popular in the Philippines, the size of a quarter. With a pro with uh, It has a flavor profile that's between an orange and a lime. And uh, a lot of our neighbors at in the Castro have actually uh, been introduced to it and love it. And that's part of their staple whenever they order a truffle collection from us. We also have other flavors like banana caramel. Uh, we have different kinds of teas from Asia, like the chai tea truffle. So uh, we also have a lot of different kinds of nuts. So that's more probably a California influence. So, so our shop is a tropical inspired shop that actually also pulls flavors from California, from the Philippines, from Asia. Uh, so we take you on a tropical inspired vacation with our truffle box. 
And uh, I forgot to mention earlier, I know you asked about uh, other things that we sell at the store. And I mentioned a lot about our hot chocolate, but we do have our cacao porridge, which is a very strong Philippine influence. Cacao porridge is what we call it here, but it's actually called champorado mm-hmm. in the it's a special treat during the Christmas holidays in the Philippines, which is the only time it gets really cool in uh, such a tropical place. And uh, we use uh, premium chocolate for our cacao porridge, and we also innovated it and uh, cre- uh, put uh, grated coconut and bubu arare, which is like a Japanese rice cracker on top for a sweet and salty finish. Uh, with a creamy condensed milk in the middle and a chocolatey sticky rice porridge at the bottom. Oh my gosh, now I'm craving your upgraded champorado so much. That sounds so good. You have to try it. Oh, I do. I really, really do. And it's funny because I was actually just going through old, you know, recipes on my site that I need to redo and reshoot. And the champorado was like number one on the list. But now after hearing about yours, that just sounds incredible. (laughs) Actually, I'm I'm thinking I have all these other ideas about uh, different flavors of champorado. I just haven't gotten to it because we're focusing on the vegan truffles. And, you know, we're a very small team, so it takes me probably doubly longer to get to the finish line compared to other people because it's it's the same people who are working on marketing and also, you know, making sure there's somebody at the shop managing and also making the chocolate. So, yes, that's part of our um, plan to have different flavors of the cacao porridge. Wow. Uh, Oh, that's great. I will definitely have to stop in for that. How was it? Because you opened the store in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. You have to tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that. uh, So we it took nine months to finish. It took nine months to finish construction and also to get approval uh, to open. Uh, There was a pause in between because of the pandemic. So another three months before we could actually open, we just had to open at that point because here in San Francisco, you pay rent, right? Mm -hmm. After signing the lease, after one and a half months, I had to start paying rent. And so I just had to open. (laughs) So we opened and uh, there was not a soul in sight. (laughs) Oh, boy. Very challenging. But in a way, it's good because uh, it allowed us to... um, I guess, tweak our offerings Mm -hmm. without pressure. So, you know, it happened. Everything happens for a good reason. And we also had a chance to chat with the neighbors. Everybody had time. So we had a chance to meet the neighbors and they would come in and they were so supportive. They would come in and actually say like, okay, we want you guys to to be okay. What do you want us to buy? And I'm like, what do you mean? That's so nice. I know, they're so supportive. They're like, okay, okay. So they'd come in the afternoon and see what else is left. On the shelf, because I back then I offered a lot of pastries because I wasn't sure like what you know what would work and you know what would be popular during the pandemic. So we were experimenting. We we sold a lot of pastries and they would just come like, oh, do you want us to buy this? Do you want us to buy that? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are the best. So yeah, now they're they're our best friends. They still come. <laughs> I love that. That is so sweet and just a testament to the neighborhood that you're in and how supportive everyone is. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Castro is a special place and I feel lucky that uh, we found the shop there. We could have been anywhere else in San Francisco, if not for this opportunity. And I'm so glad we're there because I love the Castro. Oh, wow. In terms of brick and mortar, were you selling online beforehand or was this just your full blown entry into the space? This is, well, I started out selling at chocolate salons for a couple mm. of years. 
clients. And so I started out doing that before uh, opening the retail shop. Opening the retail shop was never in my plans. I actually was just looking for a commercial kitchen. But it's impossible to find a commercial kitchen in San Francisco that doesn't have meats and other oily stuff in it. And chocolate is so sensitive to scent and humidity and everything. And so you just need a very clean kitchen that you can have to yourself. doesn't have, um, you know, other fumes that will affect the taste of your chocolate. So it became impossible. I was sharing a commercial kitchen with four other chefs and we had the same peak season. So it was insane. I would work until two, three o'clock in the morning to sell, um, to open at 10 a.m. In a, in a chocolate salon. And so that means you're there lining up already for your spot at seven in the morning. So it was tough. It, I didn't do it every day. So of course it's every weekend or, you know, those special occasions at Christmas. Uh, so that's why when this opportunity came up, I decided to just, I thought, how hard can it be to have a retail shop? I'm realizing now that's a different, <laughs> that's a very different animal, but we're learning and, um, you know, it's uh, it's getting better every day. And also we're selling online. So we learned mm-hmm. to sell online three months into the pandemic. We were thinking, okay, where are the people? They're not on the streets, so we need to find them. And they're all online. And so we started selling and that made it all better. So by the time the Christmas holiday came, a lot of people started buying online and we were shipping. Wow. That's all about learning and pivoting. And I would have never even thought about cross-contamination in a, in a, you know, in a group kitchen setting that makes so much sense. And it's almost like an aha moment, (laughs) a duh, but aha moment for me. That's so fascinating. Um, So if someone is, you know, tasting chocolate and storing chocolate like what are what are your best tips for them like is it is this the kind of chocolate that we can hold on to for an extended amount of time or should we just make sure we eat it right away while it's fresh <laughs> so i would say the cho- your chocolate will last longer if you keep it in a cool dry dark place so i guess like as long as it's inside the box the box that we have is very sturdy and like a very good quality box um, we don't want to put it in the refrigerator because we don't want to introduce moisture in the chocolate. It's not going to change the flavor so much, but it might change the texture of your chocolate or and the way it looks. And so part of the enjoyment, it's a treat. And so part of the enjoyment of the chocolate, of course, we're big on flavor. But at the same time, also, uh, we want to we want to enjoy something that's nice to look at. And so we don't want it to get all moist or it will go out of temper, actually. So it's... Um, Every time, uh, chocolate is very sensitive to temperature. So every time you introduce a different uh, kind of temperature that affects uh, the reaction of the the chocolate, it can get chalky or dull or moist and all of that. So keep it away from the refrigerator, cool, dry place, and also enjoy it within a certain period of time. If it's a bar, you'd want to enjoy it. Actually, the bar should last if there's no inclusion, meaning if there are no other perishable um ingredients that were added into the chocolate it can last up to two years really no that's very long yeah it can last up to two years but often people don't really keep it in a in a really good location so i would recommend just eating it within six months uh and then for the truffles it's a shorter uh lifespan it's a shorter shelf life because Mm -hmm. it has um cream and other things so normally unless it's a vegan truffle you have dairy in there um, it, it, uh, so that would be probably 
I would say three weeks, even if it takes longer, because we just don't know how people are storing things. So I would say maybe like enjoy it within two to three weeks just to be on the safe side. And you'll know probably when you open it from the way it looks. It just depends on how people store it. If they keep it in the back of their car and drive around and not, you know, really realizing it's exposed to heat and then moisture and then other kinds of, you know, elements, then, you know, it doesn't last as long. Well, I can guarantee you it's not going to last that long at my house. (laughs) (laughs) I have been hiding it from my family so that no one else will eat it. (laughs) What's next for Kokak Chocolates? What's next on the horizon? Well, we're looking forward to summer. We're actually, we actually have um, some plans for summer. We're launching some new products in the summer. Uh, We're also, um, I guess we're going to be sharing ideas for the reopening of the city. I know people will start working. I've heard from some colleagues in the tech industry that they're going to be coming to work three days a week. And Mm so uh, we want them to have chocolates that they can enjoy when they go into work. And so that's something that we're preparing for. Oh, that'll be a fun way to incentivize people (laughs) who doesn't want to come in and celebrate with chocolate. That's a great idea. Yeah. And also learning and learning more about how, uh, so we're, I'm, I'm working on a vegan line. I'm not in any rush. I know that's kind of a big thing now, but I want to make sure that the vegan chocolate that we have are actually equally delicious as the regular, uh, chocolate line that we have. So I am continually tweaking it. We have some recipes that we're testing. And so that's, that's probably going to be introduced in the next three months or sooner. Oh, wow. I'm sure you'll have a great demand for that as well. That's a tough one. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming close to the end, but I have a few closing questions before I let you go. Excuse me. There's something in my throat. Okay. So what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an easy meal? Hmm. So when I'm too, well, when I'm too tired to cook, um, you know, what's weird is like, uh, well, I guess there are days when I'm too tired to cook because it relaxes me when I cook. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Okay, I think I know. Every day I make eggs, different kinds of eggs. And so in the morning, my favorite thing to do is to make breakfast. And so sometimes what I do is I make, um, I prepare. Uh, so my trick is I always prepare all of my ingredients ahead. And so I steam the vegetables so it's ready to go because I lead a very busy life. I have two businesses. I am a head chocolatier for Coca Chocolates. I also am still working um, in our video production business. And so what I do is I prepare all of my ingredients. I steam my vegetables. So all I need to do is mix and and cook uh, a little bit to come up with a dish within 30 minutes. And so I make a lot of dishes with eggs when I'm too tired to cook. And I always make sure I mix vegetables in them and also for salt i make sure i use sea uh, i use sea lettuce uh seaweed oh for- yeah and it's so amazing i love that well eggs i think are just a staple you just have to have that cuz you can always make something with eggs or add it to something to beef it up a little bit even i remember in college ramen you just throw an egg in <laughs> and it just tasted so much heartier so it's a great idea and i like the sea lettuce idea that's very, very good. And I don't know, I just don't know how you balance these two careers. That's incredible to me. It's tiring. It's tiring, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, I mean, I have fun in both places. And so that's why I try to take care of myself. I make sure that each bite is high in nutrition 
So that's kind of my focus. Even if I'm too tired, some you know, when we're too tired to cook, that's actually when we need the most nutrition. And mm-hmm. so that's why I try to prep ahead. I do my best, but there are days when I'm really, really, you know, eating out and stuff. Yeah, that's a very good point, especially after the pandemic. I think a lot of people are kind of tired of cooking. But <laughs> <laughs> what's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Oh, um, there's a recipe that I want to do again uh, in the near future, and it has oh, it's a clafouti. So oh, yeah. I want to invite the neighbors actually and invite them over. And then I'm going to make that clafouti I learned at work when I was working uh, for the for Jacques Pepin's cooking show. And so I'm planning on making an apricot or a peach clafouti uh, for my neighbors around here. I live in a condominium and so, and my neighbors are the best. So I'm going to invite them over as soon as uh, the house is all cleaned up. (laughs) They're so lucky to have you as a neighbor. Okay. So are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Oh my God. Am I going to tell you the truth? (laughs) Please do, because it'll make me feel better, I think. (laughs) Okay. Maybe. So this is how um, I see myself. (laughs) I think I started out as a messy cook, but learning from the chefs, I learned how to be neater as a cook. And actually it's not being neat, but more organized and systematic as a cook. And I love cooking so much. And as much as I love chocolate, I also love making food for family and friends. If I could do it every day, I'd be really happy. It relaxes me. Even if I'm coming from a really long day, when I go home, I, I used to, when I was younger, I used to cook until 12 midnight. And oh my goodness. Food. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what's a good kitchen tip other than being organized, which we all aspire to? <laughs> um, keep things within your reach. Hmm. I think that it makes cooking more fun if uh, you can find the common, you know, the common tools that you use over and over, keep it within reach, organize your kitchen in that way, in the way that it works for you. I think that makes cooking more fun if it's easy for us. That makes sense. You're not searching everywhere and you know exactly where everything is and you're not traveling to other parts of the room to get it. Yeah. And spices. Spices, I mean, that's a big deal to me. I don't use a lot. I don't use anything artificial. I use really high-powered spices. They are expensive, but you don't need much. It lasts a long time, and it makes your your food so much tastier. Good tip. Okay, so every Friday, I try to share five little things on my site, something that made me smile during the week. So is there something that made you happy this week? Uh, So one of our baristas was uh, still kind of learning the ropes, on how to be a good barista. Yesterday, I watched her and saw how confident she was in doing her job, and it made me so, so happy. I felt very proud of her. She's 19 years old. She's very young, and she's still learning. Now, owning the space and really doing a good job with the customers. So that Aww. Was- <laughs> It's like almost like a proud mama moment. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, they're like my kids. <laughs> Oh, well, they're very lucky to work with you. Thank you, Carol. Where can everyone find you and Kokak Chocolates? Kokak Chocolates is at the corner of 18th Street and Sanchez Street in the Castro. We're a couple of blocks away from Castro Street where everything happens in the gay district. And uh, we are open from Monday to Sunday, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Perfect. And online, you're on kokakchocolates.com, right? Yes. Online, you can find us Online, you can find us at cookupchocolates.com, and we do shipping. We do local San Francisco delivery, and we also do, of course, pickups and in-store shopping. 
Oh, perfect. Thank you so much, Carol, for spending the time with me this morning. I really, really love talking to you and tasting the chocolate. I cannot wait to eat the rest of them. <laughs> Likewise, Liren, and I hope to see you at the shop soon. Message me if you're coming. I would love to meet oh, you. Oh, I will absolutely do that. Thank you. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Carol Gansha for sharing her chocolate journey with us and how the flavors of Kogak chocolates reflect her heritage and personal childhood memories in Manila. I love how she pours her heart into creating the best quality product for us to enjoy. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.